What is up, BA family, and welcome to another episode of the Breathing Air podcast. I'm your host, Mason Bendigo. Thank you all so much for joining. If it's your first time, welcome. I'm so thankful to have you and to everybody else. Welcome back. Let's dive in today to one of the most powerful podcasts that I've had the pleasure of having. Uh, this story is you know, deep on so many different levels. Our guest today is an eight-figure entrepreneur. He is somebody who has done triathlons, huge outdoorsman, a speaker, has done TED Talks, and he has a story that drives him deep to the core, and we got really deep into it. Mike Cameron coming to us from Canada today is our guest, and he experienced a tragic, traumatic event in his life that really changed him from the inside out. He has since used that trauma to then turn around and help everybody in his path. And Mike has done just that. He has taken his passion for speaking and his entrepreneurial pursuits to help impact thousands and thousands of lives around the world. Y'all are in for an absolute treat from a very talented speaker with an even more incredible story. If you want to hear more from Mike, you can find him at Axiom Mike, that is at A-X-I-O-M Mike on Instagram, where he has a link to all of his website pages and all of his other content as well. As always, go check us out on our Instagram at Breathe and Air Podcast for all the latest and greatest and tips and tricks to help you during your daily walk, during our daily journey. This is something that we're all in together and we all need community and that is what Breathe in Air is about to the core. It's about community and helping each other level up mentally, physically, and spiritually every single day. Today's episode is brought to you by our incredible sponsors at Garden Fresh Media. They're a media company that handles all content creation needs from photography to website design to brand building. You name it, they have it in today's day and age. You need someone who's going to be able to help boost your brand online and you must have an online presence in order to grow. So if you want to learn more, go over and check them out at gardenfreshmedia.com. And if you're interested in a new logo design, you can get $50 off your first logo design with promo code breathe50. That is breathe50, Garden Fresh Media, no media, no growth. It is my absolute pleasure to introduce to you coming all the way from Canada, Mr. Mike Cameron. Hey, Mason, I am glad to be here. I'm looking forward to this chat. We had a good little pre-chat, so I'm looking forward to diving into the meat and potatoes, so to speak. It's going to be good. I mean, just looking at the website, like you said, you saw saw me pop up in Little Rock, Arkansas, and you're all the way in Canada. It's just amazing what technology can do for us these days. But there's so many things that align with what we talk about on this show. So tell me a little bit about you and your background. Yeah, sure. I mean, we can go a lot of different directions. I'm old, so I got lots of background. Um, I, I uh, Most recently, I mean, I, I built and, and ultimately sold the business over the last 17 years. Um, I started a mortgage brokerage business back in 2003 and founded that as an individual, built it up to, you know, one of the, one of the larger national firms here in Canada. And, and ultimately, I, I sold it back in 
December of 2019, it just wasn't really firing me up anymore. I, I was having a hard time getting excited about the business. And ultimately, I ended up selling it in 2019 to pursue my passion, which is professional speaking. And I've been speaking in some capacity for 20 some odd years. So uh, yeah, so that was December of 2019. And then my last live gig, I think was March 6th of 2020. And as you're well aware, everything got shut down after that and uh, kind of put my plans on hold. And I think, you know, the number one word for 2020 is pivot. So yeah. I had to I had to figure out how to pivot. So here we are pivoting. Your your story is so empowering and we'll get into that a little bit here but from your entrepreneurship journey anyone that's listening and saying man I really want to go down this road, you know, this is something I'm passionate about. Where do you start? What's something that an entrepreneur has to have? What's some traits that an entrepreneur has to have? Yeah, well the the, the where do you start question I think if you're dwelling on that question too long, that's a problem. I think you just friggin' start. Um, that's the biggest thing. For me, you know, I, I kind of always knew that I had that entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial drive. I always knew that I, I wanted to be this badass businessman kind of thing, even, you know, back in my early days. And I started following the likes of Tony Robbins back when I was 18 and yeah. You know, doing doing a Jim Rohn and Tony Robbins and all those those kind of guys, and uh, so I kind of pursued that success train uh, pretty hard from an early age. Uh, so it, you know, if you're looking at starting a business, if you're looking at getting into entrepreneurship, uh, I think for the most part, most of us can we can find ways to talk ourselves out of just about anything. Right. So forget all those stories that are in your head. And just do something. Mm. And maybe it'll work, maybe it won't. But do something, do it mindfully, move forward. You know, as an ultra marathoner, that's our kind of our mantra is relentless forward progress. Mm. No matter what, just keep moving forward. Mm. And you know, you've got to have the awareness and the perspicacity to be able to learn from when things go wrong, because they're gonna go wrong. So as long as you're not doing the same mistakes over and over and over and over and over again. Right. You know, you've got the awareness to, to, to pivot, to shift, adjust course a little bit uh, and keep moving forward. And again, I think one of the big things from an entrepreneur standpoint is these shifts, these pivots don't have to be massive. You know, I'm working with a guy right now who has got his sights set on, on a particular business and he's started, but you know, it's to a point where like he wants to quit his job and just go whole hog because you know, he doesn't have the time to dedicate to it. And if only I had the time, then I'd do this. And it's just, I kind of feel like, you know, these things don't happen in massive shifts. They happen in little increments. Mm. So being patient is part of it for sure. And that, that was one I struggled with in a big, big way. But having some patience and understanding that, you know, just that, that little little bit of forward momentum that you get, you can build on every single time. And it's, it's the little things that ultimately add up to make big impact. It's very rarely the big massive steps that we take that create massive change. It's the accumulation of little steps over time. 
Mm, I love that. It's so true. And for anyone out there that has these aspirations, or if you're listening to this podcast, you most likely are interested in learning and getting better, right? So everybody has that little bit of, I want it and I want it so bad. But the patience aspect is, I think, so important. And with that patience comes being present. So yes, to, to being present, how can we be present in a world where uh, everything is constantly coming at us from all angles? And especially if you want to be a high achiever and you have these future aspirations. Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny. This, this comes back to probably the most powerful thing that I've learned in the course of my life. And we can dive into some more of the, the story aspect, but, but is really just that practice of the pause, practice the pause, learning to slow down which seems so counterintuitive, but Mike, I want it now. I want to work hard. I'm a hard worker. I'm going to do this. Absolutely. But when you practice that pause, when you take that breath, when you just slow the fuck down a little bit, you can actually start to make better progress. You know, for me, one of the, the lessons in that, when I was training for my first Ironman and, and my coach said, he prescribed all my long runs at a very slow pace. And I just looked at him like, that's ridiculously slow. Like, that's going to be painfully slow. I'm not sure I can run that slow kind of slow. And he just looked at me and he said, dude, he said, sometimes you got to run slow to go faster. Mm. And it's true. Like, in, in training, you know, especially when you're talking endurance sport, it's not about those sprints. I mean, those are part of the workout. But certainly on the long runs... We do those at a much slower pace than we probably could, and that starts to build the endurance. And so it's the same in life. Learning to practice that pause, learning to slow down mm. is such a critical, critical component. That's, that's so powerful. I love, I love that. You, told, you said a little bit about your backstory, and I think this kind of lays the foundation for everything that you stand for now when you speak. You had a TED talk that was titled, I love this, Redefining Badass, right? Yes. And, and it was focused on toxic masculinity, should we say, quote unquote, being a man showing emotions, knowing that that isn't something that you should be ashamed of. But it also had a very powerful story. Tell us a little bit just about that, you know, background. Yeah, you bet. So, so just to back up a touch and give a little bit of context, you know, I talked about my career in business and I, I literally started my career bagging shit. Like I worked in a garden supply uh, wholesale company where I was bagging steer manure for a living. Yeah. And ultimately I worked my way up through the ranks. I ended up selling for that company. And what I realized then was people don't buy a bag of steer manure because they want to own a bag of shit. <laughs> they ultimately buy steer manure because they want the feeling that they're going to get when they plant that beautiful garden, that grow that beautiful rose bush. So I started to, to twig that, hey, wait a minute. Like my customers don't buy the thing. They buy the feeling they believe the thing is going to give them. And so as I progressed through my sales career, I started diving into the research about how we buy on emotion and justify it with logic. Uh, and I found a, a fellow by the name of Dr. Antonio Damasio, who's done a bunch of research on this. And ultimately, the bottom line is, not only do we buy based on emotion, but we actually, as human beings, we make decisions based on emotion. Emotion, Damasio talks about emotion is the edifice upon which reason is built. Hmm. And, 
you'll, you'll understand why that's important to the story. So again, I started diving in and as my, my career progressed, I got into finance because I kind of got as far as I was going to go selling steer manure and ultimately moved into the world of finance. And again, started to use those, you know, how do I make that emotional connection with my customers so that I can sell more um, investment products and I can actually work with them to get what they want. Um, and it really became evident to me. And, you know, as I moved into a business leader, I started my own company that my employees productivity was directly tied to how they were feeling um, and their emotional connection to us as an organization. So, you know, flash forward to 2015 and I was competing in an Ironman uh, triathlon in, in Penticton, British Columbia. So Penticton's a, a summer, summer town, just a gorgeous, gorgeous spot up in, in British Columbia. Uh, you mentioned that you'd spent a little bit of time there. Um, but so my, my girlfriend and I took a road trip to Penticton where, where I was going to be competing in this Ironman. And you touched on the, the topic or, or the title of my TED Talk was uh, Redefining Badass. And, you know, Colleen used to tease me about how badass I was as a guy that, you know, did ultra marathons, Ironmans, was a rock climber, a yogi, uh, ran a business. She'd always tease me about how badass I was. And I got to tell you, as a, as a guy that's always been more geek than jock, more nerd than cool kid, you know, it, it made my heart swell with pride when she would do that. Well, little did I know, but this trip to Penticton I would get schooled in what it means to be a badass. You see, my 65-year-old aunt lived in Penticton, and she knew we were coming. And um, after the race, she invited us over for dinner. Uh, my mom was in town to cheer me on in the race. And so, so Colleen and my mom and I went over to my aunt Sharon's place for dinner. And Sharon starts telling us this story about how she'd gotten inspired when she heard I was coming to town. And she felt like you know, she'd wanted to get a little bit more physical, a little bit more active, a little bit more in shape. She was 65 years old, not overly fit, not overly active. She says, but they had a 5k fun run the day before your race. And so she goes, I thought, you know, I would sign up for that. Yeah. She says, you know, I knew full well that I was going to be dead last, but I didn't care. I just thought, you know what, I'll go do this. So race morning, she says, I lined up way at the back of the pack because I don't want these young kids passing me. So I just started way at the back. She says, the gun went off, off we go. She says, I get within about a kilometer of the finish line. And she says, you know, I know I'm last. And she says, all of a sudden, this kid on a bike starts riding beside me. And of course, when she says kid, it was probably somebody in their early 30s, right. you know, one of the race organizers. And she looks over and she says, you're here because I'm last, aren't you? And he looks at her and he says, yep, I'm afraid so. And he says, but you're doing great. You're doing great. And he starts cheering her on. And so he rides with her that last kilometer in to the finish line. And uh, they get within a couple hundred meters of the finish line. And he says, okay, I'm going to ride ahead and let them know you're still out on course. And she looks up and she can see that she's so far last that they've already started packing up the PA system. They've already started tearing down the finish line. And so she's just mortified and this guy rides ahead and lets them know she's still out on course. And to the organizer's credit, they set everything back up again. And not only do they set everything back up, but they send uh, Jeff Simons, who's a professional triathlete, who is a local, local boy. 
they send him out to, to run across the finish line with her. Like, so she finishes telling us this story and we're just thinking like, how cool is that? So she gets up, clears the table and Colleen looks at me and she goes, you know what, Mike? She goes, no, that's fucking badass. Like how many of us, especially as men would have the courage to compete in an event that we knew full well, we were going to finish dead last that we knew full well publicly we were going to finish dead last. And, and I think for most, and, and especially for us as men, we're, you know, we're so competitive. To have the courage to compete like that, knowing full well that you were going to finish dead last, just doesn't happen. And so the entire, like it's a 10 and a half hour drive from home. So our entire drive home, we talked about, you know, what does it really mean to be a badass? And especially in the context of masculinity and men. And we happened to be listening to Brene Brown on the Tim Ferriss podcast. And this was uh, August of 2015. And I think Tim asked her something to the effect of, what do you think of the over-feminization of boys in our school systems these days? And I kind of went, huh. But Brene handled it brilliantly. She said, well, you know, Tim, she goes, I don't think that masculine and feminine are mutually exclusive. She said, in fact, I believe that that perfect combination of tough and tender is the exact equation for badassery. I just thought, boom, there it was. Like that, to me, just wrapped it all together. And, you know, if you're familiar with any of Brene's work, she talks about vulnerability being the core of all emotions. So... You know, to me, again, looking at Aunt Sharon, looking at that combination of tough and tender is the perfect equation for badassery. To me, that just brought it all home. And in that moment, this book here that I had started writing at the time sort of evolved from what originally was going to be a business book into what I was going to title Redefining Badass. And little did I know how important that concept would become only a short month later. So on October 2nd of 2015, so it was like a month and a half later, I woke up at my place. Colleen was at my place. She got up at uh, five o'clock in the morning. She was a yoga instructor, uh, so often taught at 6 a.m. class. So she got up at 5 a.m. I heard her get up, get up, get dressed, come around to my side of the bed to give me a kiss goodbye and gave her a kiss. I said, have fun at yoga. And I rolled over and went back to sleep. You know, my alarm went off at like seven o'clock. I get up, I come downstairs, I make some breakfast. It's about 10 after seven. And I shot her a text and I said, Hey, how was yoga? And she didn't reply. And I thought, no big deal. She, uh, not, a, not a huge talker, but an absolutely incredible listener. And as a result would often get drawn into these long conversations with students. You know, she was just one of those people that people would open up to. Right. So, you know, it wasn't out of character that she wasn't available, not a big deal. I carried on about my morning, finished my breakfast, hopped in the car, headed to my downtown uh, meeting for a nine o'clock, called her again at, you know, quarter to nine, phone rang and rang and rang, got voicemail, texted her again, no response, starting to, you know, the wheels are starting to spin a little bit like, oh, did I piss her off? Did I do something wrong? And, you know, th that little voice in your head that just starts making up all these stories. Yep. And uh, so I, I kind of brushed that aside, went in, did my meeting, came out, still no response, no text back. 
and drove back to the office at 11 o'clock. And yeah, now I'm starting to feel like, eh, something's just not feeling right. Like this is out of character. We were always very careful about making sure, you know, we were responsive. And um, I finished up my 11 o'clock and, and uh, it, was a, it, was a, it was a deal we were working on. And anyways, the meeting went great and we decided we were going to go across the street for lunch to, to celebrate. We'd come to an agreement. And um, again, I still hadn't heard from her. So, you know, by this time, my, my stomach's in knots and I'm just like, this is not cool. So this just doesn't feel right. So we walked into the restaurant and as the host was about to seat us, my phone rings and I looked at it and it was a blocked number. And so I answered the phone and the voice on the other end says, this is uh, Constable so-and-so. And, -and, -so. and I, I don't remember their name, but I got to tell you, man, my, my heart just sank. And I said, is she okay? And he said, where are you? And I practically screamed into the phone. I said, is she okay? And he said, look, we're at your house. Where are you? We're coming to you. And so I told him where I was and I turned and I walked out of the restaurant. I don't think I even said two words to my guests. And I stood on the curb there and I waited and it, you know, what felt like an eternity, but it was probably only five or six minutes. My, my house wasn't far away. And this unmarked police car pulls up across the street and this big badass burly looking cop gets out and uh, he's playing clothes, but he's got his badge around his neck. And, you know, what movies would lead me to believe is a Glock on his hip. And uh, I meet him halfway in the road. And he just, after identifying who I was, he, he looked me in the eye. And he, he said three words to me that would ultimately change my life. He looked at me and he said, Colleen is dead. Shot and killed by an ex-boyfriend who subsequently took his own life. You know, we make decisions based on emotion. This was a dude that made a decision with very permanent consequences based on a very temporary emotion. And so, yeah, that absolutely shaped everything I've done ever since. So for the last, you know, five and a half years now, that has really informed who I am, what I do and, and how I show up and, and why I show up. And, and of course that again, changed the tra trajectory of, of what the book ended up becoming. Yep. And that was, that was going to be kind of my next question as first off, you tell that story with such grace and it's, it's wild because I watched the Ted talk and it was, so, so similar. Like it was just beautifully, beautifully done. And, um, you know, I applaud you for being able to relive that day and to be able to share your story and, and empower others through it. It takes a strong person to be able to do that. But my question was going to be in writing, becoming a better man at that time with the book, not being complete, how did this trauma change the trajectory of the book? Well, I, I think it just solidified what it needed to be. Because like I said, that, that drive home, literally that drive home from Penticton, after that My Aunt Sharon story, the yeah. book shifted at, at that point to become, like I said, I was going to title it Redefining Badass, but of course there's, you know, You Are a Badass. There's some, there's some big name books out there that already use that, so, so I didn't. Um, but it was that drive home that that shifted. And I started thinking that, you know what, this is a message that needs to be shared. 
Um, so it was important even before that. And then, of course, when this happened, it was just like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, uh, you know, it, it, it's funny because you talk about me telling that story. And, and I, I can do that because I've done it so many times. Right. But it's in moments like these when I reflect and think that I get choked up, that I, that I feel that. Like, again, it's just all of these things that had to come to be to bring me to where I am today. You know, and everything I've ever done in my entire life has prepared me for this moment. Right. And, you know, it, 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 it's, a, it's a horrible, horrible thing and a horrible, horrible tragedy. But clearly, there's a, there's a bigger purpose. There's mm -hmm. a bigger purpose. And, you know, it's, it's not up to, well, I guess it is up to me. I mean, who am I to, who am I to throw that away? Who am I to squander that, right. that opportunity? Yeah. And that's such an incredible way to look at that. And in life itself, you know, we don't really know the trajectory at times. You didn't know that that was going to happen, but the way that you have taken that and, and used it to change other people's lives and let her story live on is is powerful and it's powerful not only to you i'm sure but to everyone that hears her story and the legacy that you carry on you spoke about you speak about spirituality some was there is there a connection there with was your spirituality changed in that instance and now looking back yeah you know what that's a really really good question i i grew up in a very religious household um and I kind of turned away from the church when I was, you know, mid-teens, early teens yeah. kind of thing and, and never went back. When, I, when my wife and I split up in 2012, mm -hmm. I really started to do what I would call the inner work and really started, you know, that's when I got into fitness. That's when I, I did my first Ironman in 2013. Um, I found yoga. I found meditation. And I did start much more on this sort of spiritual journey. Um, and again, that just that inward reflection. And when I met Colleen, you know, she was very much on that same path, very much on that same journey. And in fact, you know, in regards to that, I think she was probably a year or two ahead of me in that journey, which was fascinating to me. So... I had the opportunity to learn so much from her. You know, you talked about patience and presence and the art of presence that this woman had was just unbelievable, like absolutely unbelievable. And, and to me, that was a gift that she gave me that I will never lose. You know, as an artist, she had this knack for just seeing things in a different lens, you know, we'd be walking down the street and she'd pause and I'd see her looking up and I'd stop and I'd look and, you know, it's not like there's a plane crash up there or like, what are you looking at? And, you know, there might've been a bird on a tree right. or, you know, or maybe it was just the way a leaf was blowing in the wind, but she would just stop and she would take it in. That practice of presence through the eyes of an artist you know, was incredible. She was a painter, a photographer. So, you know, she would always sort of frame up the world around her. Yeah. And for me, what I started doing 
was as a writer, I started looking at the scenes around me and writing a story on them in my head. Um, so, so to bring it back to your, your original question, sorry, I got a little off track there. Oh, I love it. I love it. But, but just that spirituality aspect, I mean, to me, spirituality is, is connection with self mm. and, you know, connection with self and the universe. Um, what being connected to, again, starting with self, but also what's going on around you. Just that connection and power of presence uh, of the world around you and, and being mindful of what's going on in this world. So, yeah, like I said, for me, one of the tools that I use to practice that is, and one of the most powerful exercises of this I had was shortly after she was killed, I, uh, I went on a date with myself. I went to one of the nicer restaurants in town. And I suited up and I got all dressed up and I just went by myself. And I haven't told this story much. So this is going to, yeah, this is going to move me a little bit. Yeah. Because this, yeah, this was, it was almost a farewell dinner. Mm. Um, I hate saying it quite like that. Right. But it, but it was, it was kind of a coming to peace with what had happened. Mm -hmm. And so I, I went and I went alone. Yeah. You know, what's funny. I haven't told this story. I don't, uh, I don't think at all. I'm, I might've written about it once, but yeah, I went and I, I sat in this restaurant and I sat by myself and I had the, the maitre d' seat me sort of in the back corner of the restaurant so I could see everything that was going on. It was December because I remember there was a table of, I don't know, maybe 18 people or so. And, and it was, um, it was like clearly a corporate event. So yeah. just noticing the nuances of each of the individuals, you know, there was the drunk one, the, the, the lady that had had far too much to drink that was wearing heels that were just a little bit too high for her comfort level. The dress was just a little smaller than it probably should be. And then there was, you know, the, the, again, all the archetypes that, that you can imagine in that company Christmas party. I remember observing them and just writing that story in my head and writing the description of what the restaurant looked like and the couple at the table next to me and the, the two couples at the table over that were clearly celebrating something. And I, yeah, again, I don't think I've ever told this story. I, I I, I bought, there was um, two couples who I presume were probably um, son and daughter and father, or, you know, maybe in-law uh, right. and then father and mother. So it was like two generation couples and they were clearly celebrating somebody's birthday. And when I left, I, I paid the bill for them. And it's just, it's one of the things I like to do every once in a while that pay it forward thing and, and doing it completely anonymously. Like I didn't right. tell them anything. I just paid and I left, uh, which was super fascinating because I actually got a phone call from the maitre d' the next day and they had come back and left a thank you card with the maitre d' and said, if you do happen to know who did that for us, please pass this along. Wow. Well, I've got to see if I can find that now. That's incredible. 
Yeah, it was just, it was so cool. And it turns out that it was, yeah, it was, it was uh, parents, their son, and their daughter-in-law mm-hmm. that had gotten together to celebrate the, the son's birthday. Um, and again, just some of the stories that come out of this, but yeah, like writing that story in my head and having that practice of presence was, was huge. Yeah. That's, that's an amazing story. I mean, there's paying it forward. There's something to be said for paying it forward and even just rewind. There's a couple of things that stuck out to me there, which you spoke about kind of you know, taking in and seeing things through a different lens almost mm. and taking in your surroundings. And this is something that I struggle with because I know it's so easy to be go, 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 pick up the phone, look at the phone, do this, do that, answer an email, answer a phone call. Um, what do I got to do as soon as I wake up to go, go, go? And recently I've been trying to, like you said, take a step back, look around, man, the trees look pretty. It's nice outside. Let me take a deep breath. Um, I think meditation has helped me a lot with that as well. Uh, but there is just something to be said to just exist and be in this present moment. There's there's so much power in it. And tell me uh, tell me a little bit about your writing practice because was this something that you started early on? I I took this idea of writing down your goals and it being the first action of you putting it into existence and writing down my thoughts, you know, all these things that were in my head that I had to get out and get onto paper. And I've started to just love the act of writing for, for keeping me sane, almost the same way that I do working out and training. I'm sure you can attest to how you feel when you're training as well. So how has writing changed your life and what are some things that you've done to kind of blossom that practice? Well, again, I, I think the, the important piece, the important word there is practice. It's a practice. Yeah. Uh, it's not something that we necessarily start good at and it's not necessarily something we ever actually need to be good at. Right. Um, so, so let's talk about the word practice because to me that's really important you know, when I talk about when I give my keynotes and I'm doing presentations and things, I will often tell the audience that I don't want you guys to try anything that I've talked about. Instead, I want you to practice everything that I've talked about. Mm. Because when we shift our vocabulary from try to practice, it just opens up so many possibilities. Right? I tried writing once. It was terrible. I'm never doing that again. Yeah. Well, when you sh- switch that to, okay, I'm going to practice writing. Okay, well, today it was terrible. When I practice it again tomorrow, I'll get a little bit better. And then the next day, I know I'll get a little bit better. And the next day after that, I'll get a little bit better. So, you know, when we try something, it's this pass-fail mentality. When we practice something, we know that we're just going to get a little bit better every single time. And it gives us permission to, continue, to keep coming back to the page if we're talking about writing. Right. So for me, accepting that that's a practice and, and not, a, not something I'll try, it's something that I continue to practice, uh, was huge. The other key piece that you touched on there was we don't write to document our thoughts, we write to discover our thoughts. Mm. And that is so powerful. You know, so many, it's interesting because I'm actually doing a coaching program for writers right now. Mm. And almost everybody that signed up I, I offer them a 15 minute with me if you want to have a conversation about is this right for you. 
And almost everybody that's taken me up on that 15 minute sort of preamble has always said the same thing. Yeah, but you know, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know what I'm going to write about. And the answer is always the same. Just sit down and write. You've got things in your mind. Just observe the things in your mind and write them out. You don't have to make new things up. You just have to take what's in there, what's already going through your head, and write it out. So for me, some days, that starts off with, it's six o'clock in the morning. I have no fucking idea why I'm up this early. I'm really tired. What am I going to write about? I have nothing to write about today. I have absolutely no thoughts in my head. I just have no idea where I'm going to go. And well, what do I have to do today? I have to do this thing. And then all of a sudden, it takes me somewhere. And it's like, oh, I didn't realize I was thinking that. I didn't realize that was going through my brain. And it's such a powerful, powerful exercise. Yeah. And, and that's... That's something where I flip back through old journals and I just read something that I wrote and I'm like, I wrote that? I yeah. that? Like that's, and at that moment, it's even crazier when at that moment, it's exactly what I needed to hear from myself because we get put back into these loops and patterns of thoughts that we don't even realize subconsciously sometimes. And probably I'm three weeks ago, a month, whatever, however long ago, I was experiencing similar feelings. And it's like the answers on the page. So that's, it's a really weird thing when that happens, but extremely powerful. Oh, it, I mean, that is so cool, because you're right, like it is about identifying those patterns of thought that trigger those emotions that ultimately trigger the behaviors. So you know, we talk about, you know, from a performance aspect, as, as guys, we want to perform, we want to do things. So often we'll try and brute force change the behaviors. Yeah. But if we, don't un, if we don't address, you know, I talked about it before, we make decisions based on emotion. Our decisions dictate the behaviors, the behaviors dictate the results. So if we don't understand the underlying emotions that drive the decisions we make, we have zero chance of living a fully awakened and purposeful existence. So rather than trying to brute force the behaviors, it's about going back to identify what are the feelings that are driving these decisions and what are the thoughts that are creating some of these feelings. And as you said, like they're usually patterns. So when you write them out, you can see them. And I love what you said because I can't tell you how many times I've gone back and I've, I've read something I've written. I'm like, oh my God, that's beautiful. And then it's like, oh, wait a minute. Did I copy that for like, is that in some famous writer somewhere? So yeah. I'd actually Google chunks of text to see if... yeah did I just really like this that somebody else wrote and I cut and pasted into my, because right. I, I right. tend to journal on, on, in Google Drive. So sometimes I, I will cut and paste phrases that I like, but I come back and it's like, oh no, that's a Mike Cameron original. That's pretty damn good. <laughs> it is. It is just a wild thing. And, and at the time we may just do it and be like, oh, it's there. It's, it's done and not feel any type of emotion. It, all of this kind of goes back to me that I've been realizing that being aware of your thoughts, feelings, emotions, these things are the first is the first step to starting to understand some of the deeper intricacies of the way we think and the way that we're wired. How, how have you been able to start down this road and even at the beginning stages of this realization that you've had? How did you start becoming aware of your thoughts and these yep. emotions? Yeah, so, so again, it, it all comes back to the slowing down piece. 
So from a formula standpoint, because as a guy that speaks about this stuff, I try and find ways to make it memorable. So I use the acronym SOAR. Learning, you know, I want to soar. I want to learn to soar. S is slow down. Just practice that pause. Take that breath, as, as we've already talked about. O is open up. And the open up is twofold. One, it's open up to yourself. Actually let what's in there come to the surface. Because as guys especially, we tend not to do that. It's right. like, oh, there's a feeling coming. What, 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 what? Nope, 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 nope. Back down. So just open up to yourself. And the second part of that is opening up to somebody else, to sharing. Mm. And, you know, of course, that's got to be in a safe environment, depending on what we're talking about. But even if it's, you know, and I do this in interviews sometimes, if if I'm doing a big interview for, you know, a, a large live audience or something, I'll actually say to the host, you know what, Mason, right now I'm, I'm feeling pretty nervous. I'm pretty nervous. I don't want to mess this up. This is a pretty big opportunity. I'm on CBC Radio live, and I don't want to mess this up. So just sharing that, articulating that, helps to sort of dissipate it. Mm. And the A is accept. Accept whatever's coming up. You know, so often we get into this pattern of not accepting. So, you know, we get mad about something, and then we get mad at ourselves for getting mad at that. Like, you know, I screwed up. I yelled at my girlfriend or, you know, whatever. I, I did something that I shouldn't have done. So I feel shame for doing that. And then I feel mad about being ashamed. And then, you know, I feel shitty for feeling shitty. And it, it just becomes this big spiral. So just accepting that, you know what, I feel, I feel ashamed of that. And that's okay. It doesn't define me. It's just a feeling in the moment. And then, so when we slow down, we open up and we accept, that's when we can reconnect with our emotional selves. That's when we can reconnect with who we really are. And I use this in a business context as well. So when we're talking personal development, you know, I kind of outlined it there. But in a business context, I do this a lot of times as well, especially now when we're doing Zoom meetings, I'll start with a slowdown. So again, depending on the environment, depending on the context, but we'll always start with some kind of slowdown. So maybe it's just 30 seconds. Okay, Mason, before we get going with our meeting here, let's just take a breath. I just want you guys to all get right present with right here, right now. Forget about all the stuff that's gone on in your day. Forget about all the stuff that's going on in your day tomorrow. Let's just take a moment and get present. And then again, depending on the environment, depending on the context, with our writing group, I do a a quick check-in. So I go around the table and I say, okay, what are you feeling right now? Physically, what are you feeling? And then emotionally, what are you feeling? Or maybe it's just two words. Give me two words what you're feeling right now. So Mason, give me two words. What are you feeling right now? Two words that describe how you're feeling. Thankful and present. Thankful and present, nice. Mm -hmm. So it's just taking that pause to be intentional about noticing what's going on. And the reason I tend to start with the physical, especially for men, is because we're good at at noticing the physical stuff, right? I got a kink in my neck right now. My jaw's tight. But those are almost always linked with something in here. Mm. So I've got a tightness in my chest. 
what is that? Oh, you know what? It's, there's some anxiety there. Mm-hmm. And maybe I couldn't articulate the anxiety, but I could articulate the tightness in the chest. I'm feeling tension in my shoulders. That's the stress. I feel this weight of the world. I have to provide for my family. COVID's wiped out my business and I still got to pay the freaking mortgage and I got to put food on the table for my kids. And it's fucking heavy. And I don't know what to do with that. You know, so being able to articulate that and just take a moment to identify that is huge. But it really starts with being intentional. Mm. So creating time to do that. So, you know, whether that's with your partner, whether it's with a friend, whether it's in a men's group, you know, I run men's groups. So that's our, our entire intention. Tonight at 630, we're going to get together and we're literally going to practice feeling. Yeah. We're going to practice getting vulnerable with one another. And, you know, I, I, we talk about mental health, but I like to equate it to emotional fitness. You know, you, you touched on the, the working out thing. Well, as guys, we know that if we want to get physically fit, we go to the gym a few times a week and we lift weights. Yeah. Yet when it comes to our emotional fitness, what do we do? And the answer for most of us is jack shit. We don't do anything. So creating an intentional space where we can practice that emotional fitness is huge. And for me, that, that revelation came, you know, I told you I'd, I'd done sort of the inner work, I'd done yoga, I'd done meditation. But by definition, you know, when I look at vulnerability being the core of all emotions, by definition, vulnerability means I have to open up to somebody else. So it, it means more than one person usually. Mm. So where can I create that intentional space where I can open up to somebody? So like I said, maybe that's your partner. Maybe it's a friend, you know, rather than saying, hey, let's go for a beer and watch the hockey game. Hey, let's get together and just chat about life. Tell me what's going on. What's weighing you down? What are you elated about? What are you super happy about? What are you excited about? Let's talk about these things. And let's do it when we're not distracted. Or, or maybe, you know, for some, maybe it is, let's do it, but let's be distracted because it's a little more comfortable. When I know there's a hockey game going on in the background and I can always turn my attention back to the hockey game when it gets too uncomfortable. Right. So maybe it's baby steps, but, you know, be intentional about it. Yeah. Does that answer your question? Yes, it does. It does. And that, that word intentional in, in the way we live, love, our relationships, our work, it's been something that, has been so powerful for me thinking about how so often we get into the hamster wheel of going through yes. without focusing our intentions. Yes. Um, and, and that word is just, it, if you enact it in your life, things will start panning out differently and you'll start seeing things differently because of the intention. And it's, it really is a powerful thing. And you spoke about the physical fitness, which I'm very into. I love speaking on, you know, health and the correlation with mind and body. So what is your take through yoga, through ultra marathons, all of these extremely mentally challenging and physically challenging events? How is that, you know, mental and physical connection, you know, manifested in your life? Yeah. So for me, I mean, 
it started, the endurance sport really started when I, when I split with my wife and I just needed something for my own peace of mind, mental health. I needed an outlet. And so running was a good one. So I did a marathon, you know, and then I, I ended up hooking up with some, some folks that were triathletes and thought, Oh, that sounds kind of fun. So, so I did that and, you know, just nature of who I am. You know, I started with a try a try, which is like a 300 meter swim, um, a 20 kilometer bike and a three kilometer run. So it was like nothing. And then I did that one and it's like, that was fun. That was 2012. So then I signed up for the Ironman in 2013. So I tend to be a little bit extreme, but for me, it's, it's about finding the edge, finding your edge, finding your limits Mm. and pushing beyond them. One of the, the really cool things that came up for me when I was training for Ironman, there's a fellow by the name of Chris McCormick, who's a professional triathlete. He's, I think he's probably retired now because he was in his maybe 40 when I first started following him. Mm-hmm. Um, but he moved from short course triathlon. So he was winning a lot of events in the short course triathlon, like the sprint and Olympic distances. And then he moved up into Ironman. And he's, I think, two-time world champion. He's won 12 championships or something like that. Um, but just a badass when it comes to triathlon. He wrote an article that he entitled Embrace the Suck, which really resonated with me because what he talked about was moving from short course triathlon to long course, iron distance triathlon. He said there was no amount of training that could prepare him for or get him around the inevitable suck that would at some point come during a long event. So he said, rather than trying to train to avoid the suck, he started training to embrace the suck. And I just thought, how profound is that? Like in life, and you know, what happened to me is a perfect example. We can practice and script everything perfectly, but at some point, life's gonna throw you a right hook. And you can train all your life to avoid the suck, but you have no control over that. So for me, that long distance stuff was really about training the mind to embrace the suck. I got to do it in a controlled environment. You know, when I run hundred mile ultra marathons, I mean, we're talking 30, 32 hours of running that tests your limits, but it's in a controlled environment. So by doing that and embracing that suck in a controlled environment where there are safety catches and, you know, if I pass out on the trail, the race director is going to find me, they'll send a medic out to take care of me. But by practicing in that environment, it prepares me for when life ultimately throws me some suck at some point, which ultimately it's going to do, you know, the magnitude of suck doesn't matter, but at some point your life's going to suck. I can guarantee it. Right. And that's, that is where physical fitness I preach on. This is so important, not just to, not just for all of the scientific facts that we can get into about, you know, longevity for me, I'm like, I want to be able to pick up my grandkids when I'm 70 years old. You know, it was for sports, but it's transformed into more about, you know, gut health and, and health eating and, and all of this physical health that we have. Right. But when it comes to training, 
and training and putting yourself into stressful situations. You are literally putting yourself into discomfort when you're training for an end result that you know that your body is going to be stronger on the back end from going through that hard time. There's yeah, what's well, the you know in 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 weight training? I mean, you talk about the principle of adaptation, and it's the same thing. Yeah, the more you push, the the more your body and mind adapts to the environment around you. Right, and our our bodies and minds are so powerful. Like I can't even wrap my brain around it. Sometimes I started getting really into neuroscience and started reading a lot about Wim Hof and and the cold therapy and stuff, and even that concept of exposing your body to extreme temperatures you can go hot in a sauna or cold in a cold shower tub you're 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 showing your body stress but Mm -hmm. the immune system is responding in a positive way to that minor stresses so then you're just you're building up your immune system through these minor challenges just like the minor challenges that you put yourself in through in life and business and those things help you in the back end and that that connection is always just so so powerful to me, and I, that's why I constantly love to preach it. You did it, did it well there. Yeah, well, well, I, I like what you said, but also want to connect that back to the emotional because you know I touched on the the physical manifestation of the emotions. So if we don't practice that emotional fitness, it, it's going to come out or release or dealing with like that's coming out one way or the other. There's there's a book called The Body Keeps the Score. I haven't read it. Um, it's on my list, but it talks about how emotions manifest physically, you know, with, whether it's illness or, or what have you. If we don't deal with those emotions, and again, for guys especially, you know, we want to bottle them up. We want to bury them. We want to suppress them. But if we don't deal with them, like they're coming up one way, shape or form. You know, maybe it's insomnia. I know a lot of guys can relate to that. I just, I can't sleep. It's like, yeah, maybe it's not because your mind is so powerful and busy and strong. Maybe it's because you've got shit you're not actually dealing with. And that's when you go to sleep, now your defenses are down. And guess what? It's coming up. Mm. It's coming up. Yeah, that's, it's just so important to know that too, though, with even stress being one of the leading, you know, Mm -hmm. causes of all of these physical ailments, there is a connection there with, with emotions and coming to grips with them. How does someone, and we can go men particular here, how does a man that has been feeling like he has this build up, this physical build up, like you said, that pain in your chest sometimes, right? The weight of the world feels like it's coming down you. They don't know an outlet to go to. And maybe they've been filling that hole with other things that they shouldn't be, that are hurting them in other ways. How, how can they come to be able to release some of those emotions in a, in a positive way? Yeah. So, so again, I bring back to that SOAR acronym. So that's yeah. a huge tool to do that. So slowing down, opening up, accepting and reconnecting, huge. Um, when we're talking about, yeah, when, I mean, when we're talking about addictions, I mean, you know, Gabor Mate is, is another fantastic author, and he talks about, rather than talking about why the addiction, we should be asking why the pain. Because, mm. yeah, when, when you talk about whether we turn to, you know, substance abuse, whether it's alcohol or drugs or, or what have you, um, we turn to something to numb that pain. We turn to something to numb those emotions. You know, for me, it was, it was, I, it was work. Like I worked an awful lot of hours 
So some of these things that we do to numb, you know, we, we actually get patted on the back for it. Way to go, Mike. You're such a successful business dude. It's like, yeah, I'm not so sure that's super healthy. So finding an outlet where you can actually express what's going on inside. So being intentional. So there's lots of men's groups out there. They're fantastic. Um, just creating a space for guys to get together and just share Look, man, this is what's going on in my life right now. Yeah. That's- and any good men's group, it's, it's not about fixing anything. It's not therapy. It's just about creating an environment where you can get out of your head and into your heart and you can open up and you, you can share. And again, if you've got a good group of guys, they'll know how to poke you and like, hey, Mason, so, you know, not here's what you should do to fix that. It's where do you feel that? Like, where do you feel that physically? Yeah. Yeah. Where do you feel that in your heart? What does that feel like? Feel shitty. Okay. Well, can, can you describe what shitty feels like? Because shitty is not really a feeling. It's this jumble of feelings. So let's pull a thread. Pick one. Anger. Fuck, I'm mad. I'm pissed off because X, Y, and Z. Okay, wonderful. What else? Oh, there's sadness in there. I'm sad because I got let down because whatever. Right? And just start pulling at those threads. Mm. Yeah, that's it's powerful. It really is. And it just starts, like you said earlier, just start. Just start. Yes. Yes. You don't have to think that you're going to be an expert at at these kind of techniques or being able to be good at it at first. But like you said, just pulling the thread is, is a good acronym there. Um, tell me a little bit about leadership. And I know that I've taken quite a bit of your time here, but leadership, you obviously are a leader in business and, and leading men now as well and leading people. How, how do you be a better leader? You know, I, so I'm a big fan of Kuz's and Posner's leadership challenge. So the five exemplary practices of leadership, and let's see if I can get these rattled off. Um, model, uh, inspire a shared vision, model the way, encourage the heart, enables, enable others to act and challenge the process. So those are the five practices of exemplary, exemplary leadership. Easy for me to say. Um, there's, a, there's a book called the leadership challenge. Uh, Kuzes and Posner, the, the authors, I can't remember yeah. first names, it's Jim yeah. and I'll get them mixed up. But yeah. anyways, their, their model of leadership is one that I really like. Um, so how do we show up? How do we a inspire a shared vision? So for me, it's talking about becoming a better man. Why, why is that important? Why is that important for me? Why is that important for society? So model the way again act as an example be an example yeah encourages the heart i mean and that's part of everything i do is encouraging the heart it's about getting out of the head and into the heart Mm. leading with empathy is huge challenge the process i think that maybe that's bullshit mason i'm not sure i buy that Mm. defend your position for me tell me why i should be doing that challenge the process challenge your own process Mm. challenge your own beliefs you know, from a leadership standpoint, that's huge, is having the courage to actually challenge your beliefs. Because one of two things is going to happen. Either you're going to reinforce them, or they're going to start to crumble. Mm. And if they start to crumble, well, that's probably a good thing, because they weren't all that solid in the first place. 
But, you know, especially when we're talking about generational beliefs, you know, well, I believe this because this is how I was brought up. And my father's father before him was brought up this way. So this is just the way it is. Okay. Is that really just the way it is? Or is that just how you were brought up and you've never considered anything else? Hmm. Get curious. To me, from a leadership standpoint, curiosity is a very powerful thing. It's about getting curious instead of judgmental. So for me, one of my core values is curiosity. And the mantra I use to uh, follow that is curiosity over judgment. And what that means to me, and I'll, and I'll circle back to that in a sec, yeah. but what that means to me is anytime I find myself getting judgmental about who the fuck is this Mason dude? Actually framing that up and wait a minute. Who the fuck is this Mason dude? Tell me a little bit more. Yeah. Right? Like, and it's just, it's a small shift, but approaching these things with curiosity over judgment is huge and it can open up so many things. So again, back to leadership, values first. So you talked about goals. Um, sorry, I'm jumping all over the map here, but keep going. <laughs> you, you talked about goals. So for me, I stopped setting goals probably a decade or more ago. And there's a number of reasons why I did that. But the framework I use instead of goal setting is I set values, I set intentions, and I set milestones. Ooh. The problem with goal setting, you know, for me, one of my first goals was I wanted to make a hundred grand a year. You know, for most, for many business people, that's a, that's a milestone. That's a, that's a, a goal. I want to make a hundred grand a year, but do you really, do you really want to make a hundred grand a year or do you want the feeling that you think that hundred grand is going to give you? Is it going to make you feel accomplished? Is it going to make you feel secure? Is it going to make you feel like a baller? What is the thing that you want? It's not really the hundred grand. And what often happens is when we get so hyper-focused on that hundred grand, you know, now I'm working 12 hour days, six days a week to make that hundred grand. And my girlfriend hates me. My kids don't see me. And, oh, wait a minute. So those things I actually wanted have now just taken a shit kicking because I got hyper-focused on that goal. So that's one example of, of why I, I wrestle with the goal setting as a, as a, as the be all and end all. Cause I believe that the self-help gurus have it wrong. You know, we always talk about start with the goal and then work backwards. But the problem with that is usually the goal isn't the thing you really want. So start with values. Again, identify what they are, define them. So in a way that a fifth grader could understand develop some questions around those values that you can ask yourself every single day that you know that you're living those values. And for me, the most powerful one is create a mantra around those values because that's something I can just grab onto anytime. So for me, work ethic is one of my values. So my mantra there is do the fucking work. Yeah. I'm a huge procrastinator. So when I find myself procrastinating, I grab onto that. Do the fucking work, Mike. Do the fucking work. Or you could just be do the work. Sorry, I swear a lot. I didn't ask you if this was supposed to be a clean podcast. Or no, no. Um, but yeah, so, so that's my mantra. So again, getting intentional, sitting down, mapping out those values. What do they actually mean? Because it's easy to rattle off empathy, curiosity, kindness, 
honesty. I mean, we can all rattle off the words, yeah. but what do they actually mean? What do they actually mean to us? Because what empathy means to me may be different than what empathy means to you. Mm. So getting clear on those values, because those are your North Star. That's what should be the pull. That's what should bring you. And then your intentions, as we've touched on a little bit, is how do I want to show up in this world? Who do I want to be? Not so much what do I want to accomplish or what do I want to have? Who do I want to be? Because I can tell you, man, life can take away what you have, but it can never take away who you are. So we damn well better focus on becoming more rather than having more. Mm. So for me, that's what intention is all about. So, you know, some of my intentions are to be bold. Um, as a guy that's always been kind of the nice guy and, and, and maybe not quite so assertive, um, one of my intentions now is to be bold. I'm fucking tired of this bullshit that's going on in the world. I've got a message I want to share. It's time for me to be bold. Um, one of my other intentions is every conversation I have, I show up with the intention of making that a life-changing conversation, whether that's for you or for me. My intention is that one of us is going to take something away from this that's going to change our lives. And again, it doesn't have to be a 180 change. It can be just a small little pivot because, again, if, we, you know, if we're going this direction and we shift one degree, 10 years down the road, that gap is huge. So, again, intentions, values first, intentions next, and then milestones. And milestones are goals, right? So, but they're, but they're not the thing that pulls you. Your values and intentions pull you. The, goal, the milestones are just little offshoots along the way. So if I'm going down this road chasing my, chasing my values rather than chasing my goals, you know, if 100, making 100 grand a year is one of my milestones I want to hit, that's great. I'm going this direction on my values and intentions. And if this little milestone over here comes along, great. But you know what? If I start chasing that and I realize, you know what? this is no longer in alignment with my values or my intentions, then I can just let it go because I'm not so married to the set your goal and stick to it. Well, why would you stick to it if it's not actually serving you? So, sorry, that's a, my long-winded rant. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and put an intro. Get your pen and paper ready. <laughs> a lot of good things in here. Well, I have one question that I love to ask uh, just about everybody that I have on the show. And I'm very interested to hear your thoughts, but what is your definition of success? Ah, yes. Yes. You got another hour? <laughs> yeah. Now, well, you know what? For, for me, success is about living in alignment with your values and your intentions. That is it. So for me, you know, I chased success by standard measures for many years and I hit it by most measures. Um, but then it, at some point it became about moving from success to significance oh. because otherwise I'm just chasing, 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 chasing. And at some point it has to be more than about just chasing that next thing. Incredible. Well, Mike, thank you so much for your time. Uh, this conversation definitely was incredible for me. And I know a lot of people are going to feel the exact same way. I'm sure you saw me like writing down notes the whole time. I'm like, oh, that's super good. How do you keep that? Uh, definitely going to go back and listen and have the pen ready. So where can everybody find you if they're trying to, you know, 
connect with you or interested in some of that you have to offer, want to check out your book, etc. Yeah, MikeCameron.ca is my website because I'm up in Canada, so I'm .ca. Uh, .com is a baseball player, so you, you'll know that's not me. Uh, but yeah, MikeCameron.ca is probably the best bet. I've got a community online there, so you can join the community for free. I've got a bunch of different programs. So I actually offer a, what I call a lifestyle by design program. So you talked about this before. Like most of us live life by default. Yeah. How do we live a life by design? So that's that intentionality piece. So, so I actually have a group coaching program that I do that's called Lifestyle by Design. And, that, and that's exactly what we do. We, we just get intentional about building the kind of life that you want. Yeah, incredible. I love it. And, and thank you so much for your time. Uh, is the book available on, where, where can everybody find the book at? Yeah, it's on Amazon. It's also on my website. Amazon website. Um, so either, either way, yeah, if you search Becoming a Better Man, when something's got to change, maybe it's you. Mm. So again, that, that subtitle is all about that taking personal responsibility. Yeah. Well, Mike, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on. And I know that the guests are going to enjoy this. Guys, if you've listened so far, thank you so much for, for tuning into another episode of the Breathe and Air podcast. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, go ahead and leave a rating or leave a comment. Let me know how you like this conversation. Reach out to Mike. Let him know as well. And if you got something out of this, which if you made it this far, there has got to be something that stuck out because, man, there's some good shit in there. But send it to a friend. Send it to somebody that you know can get something out of it as well. That is what this is all about, is about sharing the wealth and sharing our journey together. So thank you again for joining another episode of the Breathe and Air podcast. And have a great rest of your week.